it is wonderful to be with you. Um, I just am still so thrilled to, and can't believe sometimes that I get to be your pastor. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for the love that uh, you are showing one another and me. Um, I've gotten out and seen a bunch of people in the last week and that has been wonderful. And so everybody be warned of coming after you next. Um, so this is the day God made for us. Uh, it is a day of rest, a day of worship, a day uh, to connect and be together. So let's rejoice um, in the faces that we see across our screen and the love that is shared that transcends distance and time. Uh, we are grateful to know God and that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, connects us in relationship. So let's pray to, to, to God. Our God and our mom, we thank you so much for the nurture and the love that you have shown us and the way that you are helping us through rough times or the way that you are speaking to our hearts. We thank you for not being afraid of the times and seasons we live in, for not backing away from our responses to them and just being very close to us. We ask, Lord, as we talk today, as we worship today, um, that you would continue to draw us near to you and to one another. Our deepest desire ever is to be Jesus-centered, to really clearly see what Jesus is doing so we can walk away from some of that traditional archaic stuff that has bound and hurt the body and through the body hurt the world. We want to be new with fresh eyes. So Father, in the blindness of our times, we pray that you would let those scales fall off that we can see you and have a experience a fresh word from you and share that fresh word and fresh reality with your world. This is our prayer. This is our hope. This is our ambition. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today we're blessed to have a uh, Tim McCullum, lead us in worship. So Andrew, if you could pull that up, that would be great. Good morning, Mosaic. Um, I've got a few worship songs to sing for you all um, and just feeling such longing, longing to be able to do this with you all again in person. Um, but this is what we can do for now. So this is what we're going to do.
That was beautiful. That really was. I think you think you guys think so. Um, a reminder of uh, God's calling upon our lives and um, that we get to participate in bringing salvation, rescue, deliverance, and just so people know that they're seen. They're not forgotten by God or by us. So glory to God. Thank you. I'm so grateful, Tim, for that, for those songs. All right. Uh, just a few announcements today. Um, the first being, all right, Andrew is, again, uh, Andrew Richardson, wrapping up his time as our, I just want to call him our, our worship producer. And so we have some folks like um, Beth Roper and Magda and Josh and Kenny and Andre, who, who've agreed to, uh, to step in and, and on a rotating scale produce our, our service. So I'm grateful for that. If anybody else is interested, we're going to pull the group together uh, in this next week. Uh, so Andrew can do some training and things. So if you're interested, please step up. If you're kind of interested, but you don't know, don't hesitate. Just come and see you. I mean, we're not, you know, trying to shackle you to the job. So you can explore it and see if it's something that's right for you and a way for you to give to the community uh, at this time of COVID. I want to thank everybody for uh, continuing to give your tithe and offerings. Um, we want, um, so here are some realities. Uh, tithing is going down just a little bit. And so we want to encourage people to continue to give. Um, we know that sometimes the electronic giving is, can be a pain. And so Jessica Richardson has offered, if anybody needs any assistance with uh, managing our, um, our subsplash, um, that you can contact her and she will walk you through. I even had problems with mine in the last couple of weeks. So getting things worked out and straight so that can be consistent um, because we've you know, taken on our more staff now and we're figuring out how to do life in this COVID world that we live in. So we're going to have to figure out uh, life on the regular. Continue to pray for what we submitted again, that proposal to Norberth for our kitchen. So continue to pray for that, that they would receive it well and be able to match our, our grant, um, give us some matching funds, and then we can get that work done. And we're going to call on members of the church to participate at, in that in a social distance way, but recognize that we got to see each other. We got to figure out ways to safely spend some time together and working on some projects and things might be a way to do that. And then lastly, I'll have a chance if, if Raheem will, will, will let us see his beautiful face. Uh, to introduce the church to our newest staff member, Raheem Curry. He is working, yay! He is working uh, with our, our youth. So he's actually, we now have two groups. We have a middle school group and a high school group. And so he's working with them online, getting to know them and blessing them. I also want you guys to know that Raheem has agreed to be our worship coordinator. And so he's taking on those two roles for us and going to assist me with Jamie and other members of the staff and our church family and thinking about our service, trying to be really creative with it and just to make it, you know, change and vary. So we're all not looking at the same thing every week on the screen, right? We need some of that. So I want to welcome him. I'm so grateful. Brother, you were prayed for and you are so welcome to be here. Um, I'm excited for the church to get to know you. So I'm going to stop talking because y'all know I can talk a lot and let Raheem just share a little bit about himself with you guys. 
All right. Hello. Good morning. Um, I'm like very grateful for the opportunity to to share to share the gospel with the um, middle schoolers and the high schoolers, um, and definitely teaching um, like the importance of anti-racism in the church, um, because I felt like the the church I went to, even though it was in you know um, an impoverished neighborhood, um, it was like anti-racism was never talked about as if it couldn't be like introduced in the church. So when I um, applied for the position, like the first thing I saw was uh, how Mosaic Church was like big into anti-racism. Um, and I think officially I've been teaching um, the youth for the past, I think three weeks officially. And uh, I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy the conversation I have with them. Or even if some of them don't talk, because I guess I'm new. So sometimes it's a blank screen and I'm just sitting there talking to myself. But it's all right. Uh, I guess they got to warm up to me. But I do enjoy it. Uh, and the high schoolers talk more. But um, it's, it's been fun. I've been learning um, a lot about just um, myself and uh, the kids and, and the gospel. And I, I really enjoy it. Um, a little about myself. I, so I'm from Kensington, uh, Philadelphia. And um, I... I grew up there with my seven siblings. So was, um, I have four, four sisters and, and three brothers. Um, and the, the first time I heard about Jesus was, I think I was 11. And because um, my family and I, we got like evicted, you know, a lot. Uh, so we moved from place to place. Uh, and my parents, both of my parents were addicted to, to um, drugs. They were both addicted to crack. Um, so we would always move around a lot, and eventually we, we got evicted to Kensington. And when we got there, my, my oldest sister lived there, um, and my nephew lived there too. So I remember he's like, all right, Raheem, there's a church down a block that, like, you should attend. And I was just like, all right, like, what is it about? He was like, they have food. I was like, all right, sign me up. So I went uh, to the church just to, you know, have food because home didn't have food. So I went there, and for the first time I heard about, like, Jesus. I heard about this man who died, you know, 2,000 years ago. And I was like, all right, how does that pertain to me? Um, and I just kept going back to church because, um, well, the first reason, you know, because they had food. And the second reason, because it was like community. And it was, it, was way, it was a way different home. Like, it was a way different life than at home. Home was this disarray, um, dysfunctional, and like crazy. And at church, I feel like I had peace there. Uh, so I kept going back. And I think... I was 14, 14, 15, when um, I had like the strong conviction of that I wasn't good enough, that the sins that I had separated me from God and there was nothing that I could do to like make me clean. Um, so I accepted Christ when I was 14 to 15. Um, and then that same year, my, um, my dad, he was, um, he was having this like hip surgery um, because he had this really weird hip condition, his hip eroded, and then um, the uh, job that he had prior, his union job, was going to pay for the surgery. Um, so my uh, dad was scared to go under, like anesthesia. Um, so my family and I decided to have a party for him. Um, so my siblings and I went to church. It was it was on a Sunday, and he was having his surgery that that Monday. And we came back home. The house was empty. You know, someone told us that my dad was rushed to the hospital and I got to the, and my family and I got to the hospital and we found out that my dad died. 
Um, so he had like this, this massive heart attack and he was like dead like instantly. Um, and I can remember, you know, being 14, 15 and, you know, 14, you're, you're that awkward teenager. Uh, you like need your dad. Uh, and my dad was gone like in an instant. Um, and it came at a time too, when my dad, I think he was like a year clean of drugs. Um, and we were finally about to like be stable. Um, and it was just taken away like that. And I can remember being um, like angry at God and um, and not knowing like how to like ventilate that to him. And um, I can remember my my youth pastor coming up to me, talking things through. He's like, he's like, Raheem, like, you know, like God gives and take away, but my heart would choose to say, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. And at that time I was like, yeah, you know, that's easy for you to say because your dad's still here, you know, you have this, you have that. Um, and, you know, um, I think that, um, no, I know that God had me and, and, and throughout my life, I look back on things that at the time was like super traumatic, um, super damaging, but also to see that God's sovereignty was like in my life. Um, and those days definitely were not easy after my, my father's passing. My, my mom, she went off the deep end, you know, um, she just, she just got super addicted. Uh, she would just be gone for weeks. Um, and I, I'm the like middle child. So I had to take care of my younger siblings and then my, my older brothers, you know, they were out selling drugs. So I was like in the middle, had to take care of, of my siblings. And, um, so it, it was crazy, you know, it was rough, but, um, I look back on that and, and through those, those times I can see that, that God had blessed me, you know, like he gave me, you know, the ability to work. He gave me the ability to, to have intellect and to go to college. Um, like he gave me the, the ability to not succumb to my surroundings and circumstances, but to arise above that. And now to give, speak hope to people who were in the same situations as me at one time. And now, you know, I prayed and my mom is eight years clean this year of drugs. Um, and, and, and my siblings, you know, my, my, my oldest brother just got out of prison a couple years ago um, and he, he's doing better. And so like, I don't know, it's, life isn't easy, but, um, but, but, but with God, it makes it bearable. I, I think, you know, it makes it, it makes it worth it. Um, so I'm excited to be at Mosaic Community Church um, because I, even though I haven't been in community with you all, except virtually right now, but um, I have felt the, the care and love by talking to Pastor Andrew, having conversations with Jamie, um, having um, Zoom meetings with um, Melissa and Jessica helping me with all this paperwork and I-9 stuff. <laughs> so like, I, I definitely felt... Um, I felt connected, ironically, even though we don't have in-person meetings. So one day when this COVID is finally over, I'm like excited to meet you, you all and to have handshakes and not be afraid to cough in front of people again, you know? <laughs> so thank you for listening. Thank you, uh, Raheem, uh, for sharing about yourself. Yeah. Um, Raheem has spent a lot of time working in like childhood evangelism and working with churches and things. So he um, has been loving kids and committed to their 
growth and hope and encouragement since he was helping his siblings. So we are grateful. You are very welcome to our uh, family. And uh, we look forward, we will pray for you. And so if you would be okay with us praying for you now. All right. Jamie, wait, did you want to do this? Would you do this, Jamie? Me? Okay. Um, so let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for sending Raheem to us. Um, you knew the changes and the, the needs of our congregation. So you coordinated things so that Raheem would just find us as he was searching and having some time online. And you helped him to uh, stumble into uh, our website and to, to see that we were looking for a youth leader. Thank you for that, Lord, that you work out these things in ways that we don't understand, but that are perfect for our needs. We ask your, your um, blessing upon him in this position, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would bless him, anoint him, empower Rahim to minister to our kids and our community. Give him insight into their needs, oh God. And Father, we ask for favor to make connections with other community organizations, with other ministers, with parents and families, Father, that you would help all of our hearts be open to him and his heart open to us, and that, Father, he could rest in the knowledge that you got him, that even in situations where he doesn't know answers, that it's okay not to know, but to be present. So bless him in this time. Thank you for him, and, uh, and bless our kids, Lord. We thank you for the, his, his life being a blessing to them. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, I'm going to turn the service over to Jamie. He's going to lead uh, us and me through the next portion of our worship. Thanks, Angel. <clears throat> good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you again. Um, last week was an incredible service. I came away feeling so emboldened and encouraged by our four amazing uh, members of the church that were so willing to share um, about what's been going on in their lives with regarding racism and um, the the journey that they're, they're all on and, and how they've been dealing with that. And so I just want to say thank you so much to Paul um, Mumford, Eric Johansson, Magda and uh, Lashandra McCook. Um, because, you know, this, as a... We need to recognize the personal cost that we're asking our members to share and be vulnerable um, about an incredibly sensitive subject. And especially being on a public forum like this um, is an incredible thing to, to hear. And, and for me personally to, to hear that and, to, and talk about it was an incredible privilege, but also um, extremely helpful in my journey to be uh, anti-racist and so um, we're going to continue in the same vein after the, after the service me and Angel chatted and we felt that this would be an excellent sort of part two uh, of this conversation and um, so we're going to have another interview um, I was kind of joking with Angel that this morning that I kind of probably need my own theme music because I'm turning into a bit of a, uh, a bit of an interview host so I was just like gonna do this so, uh, where's my music going? Here we go. 
No, do you know what? That's just too. That's just too cool for me. Um, I probably need something a bit more. Uh, <laughs> that's just too cool hip hop beat. But anyway, so um, I just needed to bring a bit of levity into this because obviously we are going to be talking quite uh, heavy stuff. And so, like I said, we're going to be carrying on the same very important that we actually hear from our very own pastor, Angel. Um, because I think it's important for us as a church to hear from the very person or persons that are leading, leading us in this journey. And um, so we asked, uh, you know, how the, the first question is, how are you doing? Last week was the first question was, how are you doing? And her immediate answer was, I'm defying gravity. And so we want to discuss the impact of the protests on her and how she's dealing with them as an individual and as a pastor of a majority culture church that is seeking to be multicultural well that's easy for me to say um so pastor angel um we had a great conversation afterwards and just were like so appreciative of our four uh members and um you spoke to me about how much you appreciated Magda's acknowledgement of black trauma. And can you speak to that as how you felt as you experienced the protests and around the country and the world? Um, you know, being on the other side of the interviewee is just really hard. Um, I was told Jenny earlier that I am filled with so much emotion. Um, but uh, watching George Floyd be killed like that reminded me of the pictures that I would see of um, of lynchings where people would have bring like picnic baskets and sit around and just watch it. Um, not that those around were not disgusted. It was just that the, the cavalier, the, just the look on the officer's face and it, it didn't matter. It was like he was leaning on the ground and that I am, I'm caught, I don't understand how you could do that and not recognize that you were doing this to a person, another human being. I was, and that's what I, when I watched those pictures, that's why it reminded me of those pictures because folks brought, it was like, it's like watching, I don't know, a cartoon or something, going to a drive-in movie, but this was really happening to a person and how disconnected from your own humanity you have to be. And it, and it, and it causes me to fear sometimes, you know? I've navigated my 55 years in, in, in the world. But there are times when I get really scared of what it means to walk in this, and, and have people who I'm supposed to look to, you know, really be willing to do harm and think nothing of it. So I've been numb. I've had disbelief. Breonna Taylor's, I mean, you know, I've gotten pulled over for being black. I, you know, but, but being killed in your bed for being black is just, it's, these are levels of insanity that, um, that were like wet blankets that tried to cover me, you know, and, 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 and suffocate me. 
Um, so I've had anger and uh, I struggled for a while. I mean, and, and I had to preach. I had to be in front of you and I wanted to be encouraging, but I also struggled with what my role was. You know, here I am. I am present in the story. So I don't want to step outside the story and, 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 and be pastor and, 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 and not experience things with you and before you. But then it's also questions about whether you had the right to see me experience that because that was making me vulnerable. And if um, I wanted to show that much or if I could trust, was I giving information that could be used to harm me? So it was a very confusing time. And then I thought, you know, I'm supposed to have hope and be able to preach hope, but I'm not feeling a whole lot of that right now. So how do I, you know, how am I supposed to pastor like this? And so those were cries to God, you know, I'm not only just how am I supposed to pastor, but how am I supposed to pastor a majority culture church that is multiracial and trying to get to multiculturalism, but all of this is going on and it is a whirlwind. So I, uh, I was paralyzed, I think, for a little while and going through the motions for the most part. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Angel. I mean, I think as I've, I actually kind of forgot to say this in my introduction, but I think it's incredibly, I mean, I just, I just want to thank you, first of all, just to, A, for being willing to share this and um, being so open. I know in our conversations this week and preparing, it's, it's been hard. And so, you know, in my experience in growing up in the church I've prob I was thinking about this this morning I don't think I've experienced and any church leader in my growing up or even my adulthood who has been so vulnerable and willing to be vulnerable and to, to share experiences because I think in churches we the leader is always sort of telling us and we need to we, how we need to lead our lives and encouraging us and, and things like that and so um, uh, that the, um, sorry, my baby's coming into the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that, you know, we need to um, just be, you know, and so with leadership, I think you've been incredibly vulnerable and I just thank you for that. And um, I guess the next question is, so where are you now? So that's where that defying gravity thing came from. Um, so gravity keeps trying to pull me down as I watch the news. I um, see the blatant, the blatant racism that is coming across our screen um, screens um, with uh, our government and with the way the uh, virus has attacked communities and um, and are struggling to figure out change and listening to people talk about simple things. I'm like, I'm asking for rights as a person and a human being and folks are struggling to wear a mask. You know, <laughs> it's just like, can somebody help me here? Cause this is, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. And so I'm defying the gravity that wants to weigh me down to say, give it up. It's not going to happen. Just go through the motions. You know, I could do a, you know, a, uh, a little act for the church and you guys could applaud and think things were great and it's wonderful and you know be impressed by things I've learned to do over the years 
um, and then just go about living my life. But I don't, you know, that, I don't even know how to stand before God and be that kind of person. And so um, I keep pulling from scripture and things. So, you know, I think God had us in Acts for a reason and I keep following along and laughing going, yep, yep, the next chapter seems to be appropriate. So you did Acts 10, Acts 11 fits for me. Uh, so let me tell you the story real quick because uh, it's long. Um, and this is the part. Last week, Jamie talked about how Cornelius was seeking God and how an angel appeared before Cornelius uh, in his home. He was a Gentile and Gentiles were considered scum, really. They were not even um, worthy to be brought into uh, fellowship or even be touched by um, the people of God. And so in Acts 11, we have, you know, in 10, he's, he, God tells uh, Cornelius to go send for somebody. In Acts 11, we have the story of Peter. And Peter was on top of a house sleeping and he had this vision repeatedly of a sheet being filled with all these animals that were considered unclean, four hooves, um, unclean birds and creepy crawly things. Um, and the Lord said to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. All my life, I have been like, you know, I have not touched the unclean thing. I have followed what you said and you have to be kidding me now that you want me to do this. I'm not gonna do this. And thinking it must be a test of his purity or something. And so he had, he had this vision several times and finally, God said to him, listen, what I call, what I have cleansed, don't call unclean. And um, that's a powerful scripture. Now, when I've heard it with a colonial mindset, it's kind of saying that the people who were poor and black and brown are now clean before God. And when I think of it in those terms, you know, people go, yes. I'm like, no, that is, I don't, if that's how God wants to receive me. I don't want that. When I look at the scripture with an understanding that, that that sheet that came down, when God told him don't touch it, and I mean, when God told him to, to take and eat um, and taught Peter the lesson that Peter needed to have, nothing on that sheet changed. It was the same animals that were there before, and they were taken back up into heaven the way, the way they were. They didn't change at all. What God was demanding was a change in Peter a change in Peter's attitude about what God had created and that all of God's creation is clean, that all of God's creation is worthy. And so I'm, I'm holding on to that because I'm like, yes, and this is the struggle of all our lifetimes, you know, this, this um, of, human, of, of humanity's history, this thing where we create hierarchies or we de declare that I'm more acceptable than you are. And clearly what God said to Abraham was that Abraham would be the parent of all of many nations, that God created in diversity and God's, God is calling us all back to, to, to God's self. And so I'm trying to defy the gravity of what I see and walk by faith. I'm trying to remember that love does win. I am holding on to those truths, you know? We twist love, we twist um, and make wicked uh, and make some substandard fake uh, version of love. And my call on my life 
it's, and it's not just as a minister, but as the person I am, to keep untwisting the lies, you know, and that there is hope in doing that. There is fatigue. There is fear. I am counting on this church so much. I have been disappointed so many times. And I need, like you need, to see something different, to experience something different. Um, and for us to create a pocket where people are trying, a pocket where there is sincere effort, maybe failure, but an effort. And so I want to be like Peter. Now in the, the chapters that come, or I think Galatians 2, Peter, uh, Paul had to call out Peter. Because even though Paul had, Peter had this great experience of this, this, this sheep coming down, he went to see Cornelius. Paul got out with the world uh, the Jewish world, and folks were looking at him sitting down with, with and eating with Gentiles. And sometimes Peter would, would kind of crumble and go back and pretend that, you know, they were still unclean. They were still people that God didn't want. And Paul had to call him out on his behavior. And I think that's the reminder, too. We got to call each other out on our crap. We got to call each other when we start behaving in ways that demonstrate that our mind, we still have this colonial mindset um, and by that, I mean, you know, this manifesto that what we have is the be all and end all answer for the world, our perspective, who we understand God to be without being open to what God has for everybody through other cultures. And that lifting our efforts to lift us all up to uh, be like Christ is the benefit to the world. This is what we need, not destroying, but to look closely um, at human lives and what people have to offer. And I've tried to demonstrate that even in my short time with the church. Um, so whether it be race, uh, mental capacity, uh, clothes clean, I don't care. You're welcome. We're all welcome. So I'm going to keep trying to defy gravity. Thanks, Angel. I think. Yeah, no, I think when you, at the beginning of the, at the beginning of my introduction and when we were talking, you were saying that our church, uh, you didn't say, sorry, our church was multicultural, but you, you said it was a majority church seeking multiculturalism. So why did you say that? Um... Honestly, it's just because that's who we are. It, uh, we are, uh, I think, more like 60-40, uh, majority white. And, but also in the way we worship and in you know, some, the way we manage and things, it's more white culture. And so we are majority culture church. Um, we are multiracial. Um, there's this guy, Michael Emerson, who uh, wrote a book, Divided by Faith. Um, who did some studies on uh, when churches were trying to be more diverse and things um, and how that works out. And his standard was like, if you are 80% uh, one culture and 20% the other culture, you are a multiracial church because it was difficult to get beyond those numbers, you know? And so we've done really well with the numbers, you know, but we still have to work on um, shared power you know, shared understanding of scripture, 
um, and to, uh, to really examine the scriptures in ways that um, reflect everybody. It's, our desire is there. It's just we've been smelling the pollution of uh, or breathing the pollution of racism and inequality and genderism and sexism. Um, and so it takes a while to dismantle that. Multiculturalism for me is the sharing of power, sharing of responsibility. Um, and so there is a reflection of different cultures in what we do in a Sunday service and what we do when we have meetings and small groups and that it becomes a natural thing to see different style, cultural styles just flow within our church. Um, I think for me as a person of color, especially an educated person of color, one of the learned behaviors I have to dismantle in myself is code switching, you know, because it's just something I do to fit in and I know this is going to be more acceptable. And even in the studies I read in it, you know, it makes me nervous. In churches that are multicultural, if the majority white culture becomes uncomfortable and leave, then the church is no longer that and becomes a, a, a homogeneous community. And I don't, I'm overcoming being afraid of if I say this or I can't say that or what I do and, you know, or how I represent myself, you know, before everyone and just being me. So all these thoughts whirl through my head. Um, sometimes I find myself hesitating in my speech because I have so much going on and thinking about how I should say something or if I should do something. And, uh, even though it makes me tired. And sometimes, you know, it really, it, it, it's a wounding. It's a consistent wounding. Um, and I, I have to decompress. I have to go somewhere and cry. I have tasted a level of community, multicultural community. And it has been so sweet to me that I can't give it up. I'm looking for it. I'm fighting for it. Um, and so, because it's the real thing, it's the real world. God called us to make culture. I keep going back to these scriptures and I'm probably getting on everybody's nerve because you've heard every version of a sermon you can hear on uh, let us make humanity, right? But, you know, God said, be fruitful and multiply. We hear these things as this dominant statement and it's no, be like me. And what I do, I take this little thing and I make it better, enhance it. Make it beautiful. Be as creative as you want. And, and, and all this diversity is there for us to live this life that is good and nurturing and encouraging and supporting. And I really do believe that. I believe it. And, and I've tasted it. And I want more people to taste it. Because once you have it, I told somebody, once this side of justice touches you, it won't let you go. You keep looking for it. And so I feel like our, our church is a community that, is, that has tasted in some ways and wants to create that for ourselves. And this is where we get to participate in bringing salvation, bringing shalom and peace to people's lives. So, so but that's basically why. Oh, that's incredible, Angel. I mean, I think like, I wanna kind of come from the other side of it as a white person like your, your bravery in sharing that and stepping forward i think as white as white you know members of the congregation we need we have a responsibility to stop dead that that reaction of walking away but like it's that kind of that white fragility 
you know that you know obviously as it were um we we we, we can't be fragile it's like if something's been called out we have to like go we have to own it and and it's and in a sense, what I was talking to about last week in terms of Peter, when he realized, he realized what the, 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 the indoctrination had done to him and how it had um, clouded his view of Cornelius and, and if you want to say Gentiles, um, he went and did. And um, in a sense, Lashandra was saying last week, uh, the, you know, it's it's all very well realizing, but you actually have to go and do it. And so, and so, as a, um, a, a, you know, a white member of the community of the church, we need to. It's all very well going. Yes, okay, I get it now. But it's it's that do. And so, from what you just said, for me, realizing it's now I've tasted that, and I see this, see the potential of where we can go. That gives me hope as well, and not the fragile, not the fragility, of oh my gosh, my identity is completely questioned now, right? And so therefore, that's the, the unity is, is, is coming closer. And that's, that was demonstrate, demonstrated with Cornelius and, and Peter. So... Yeah. You know, instead of this, like, bland beige, I'm white, but to go back and embrace uh, the, your ethnicity, you know, and the history of that ethnicity, because coming to America for whites, the goal was to be, you know, for, for Italians and, and, and um, Irish, and even now with Latin, with Latinx, is to become white. And it's like, no, you need to be yourself mm. in the midst of this world. Um, so, yeah, there, there's that, that, there's a lot of, there's just a lot for us to, to look yeah. at. I guess that, that taps into my next question, because obviously we're talking about that, but like also that can bring the natural thing of fear we let when we let fear into this so as a pastor and when you you're serving what i guess what fears do you fight within you know do you fight with um and obviously what magda said with with trauma that i think from our conversation that had a deep impact with you so from those fears do they come out of the traumas that you experienced or you have personally experienced um, the big one is not being believed uh, when you talk about, when I talk about things from my perspective. One of the stories that I have that I don't share about is I led an organization and I went through this, this meeting with the council or board and um, they had brought, they were trying to get rid of me, but trying to do it as if I wasn't competent, you know. Um, and had gone to talk to people uh, looking for someone who would agree with their mindset about me. And they encountered one woman who I had actually sought assistance from and talked, was talking to her about the organization and hired her as a consultant. Now the beauty is that she held her, she, she held true to what was ethically correct, you know? And she told those board members, you know, if they didn't, she was gonna call me and tell me what they had said and what they had done. Um, but that led to this meeting where, you know, they were trying to put the fire of God underneath me and fear and all this kind of stuff. That's traumatic in and of itself, but people really don't know, you know, I've never, you haven't really shared that after the meeting, there was one person who came up to me, I was in the parking lot, I was distraught, I was trying to get every, my stuff organized and had dropped 
papers and things and was trying to pick them up. Person walked over to me and hugged me. And, um, and this was one of the main people fighting me. And in the hug, I knew that I had, um, that this person, I might have shared this much, was, it, it got creepy. It was a male and it got creepy. And I understood in the flash that there were some choices I had to make. And one of them is that my life could be easy if I gave in to whatever was about to happen next. And I, I didn't readily share that story because nobody would have believed it. Um, and so in the course of my life, the people, people not believing uh, when I said something, it still plagues me. And, I hear it in other people, and I know that, you know, that nobody's listening, that no, my word means nothing. Um, and and you, you figure out ways so you're not hurt more, but you're still hurt. I'm still hurt that I should have been able to call that behavior out. But I'm fighting for my life um, to keep my job and a bunch of stuff. Uh, the other big one is competency. So I take great joy that I have, you know, a bachelor's and two master's degrees. Uh, and I can whip them out when I need to, but I get mad that I can whip them out, that I need to whip them out. So I try to ignore them um, and try to place education in its proper position. Um, the education that all of us have been allowed to receive is for the community. And if people are holding so tightly to their education or are not able to communicate that learning with people who haven't had that opportunity, then to me, you really aren't educated. You're holding some paper and some degrees in place. But there is no commitment to the community. And I have, I do not respect that in any way, shape or form. Um, but, but I still use it when I come into people who would assume that I'm not educated, you know that now I have a couple of degrees and I've taught, you know, in professional graduate level programs, not, in, and there's nothing wrong with teaching in community college or whatever. Um, but um, I hate that because you play to the realities, but I'm trying to live for more. Um, and I'm always fighting it, fighting the culture thing. People are subtle with it. Well, maybe you need to think about, you know, approaching things this way and if you would tweak it this way and do this little thing and I'm actually doing the very thing that they're telling me I should do with them in the moment <laughs> you know and it's just like oh my god and so there's a lot of forgiveness that has to roll but I just you know I think all people of color you can tell me I'm wrong but I, I just think black people we have PTSD we have complex post-traumatic stress disorder and we are constantly living and pushing things down so our kids can eat tomorrow. And so we're safe in our communities and so we can keep our jobs. And this rage that comes up, and I think one thing white people get afraid of is that rage because it's like, I'm responsible, you wanna hurt me? And it's like, no, if I wanted to hurt white people, I would be doing crazy stuff. I want you to join me. I want you to be mad too and show me how you're feeling about it. And in, the, in deeper relationships, tell me what you don't understand. Michelle uh, Alex is here and has been meeting with the staff uh, with the surveys and stuff. She did the survey for us. And one of the things we were talking about when we were together, uh, she, and she's just talking about life. I'm just tired, Angel. How long do we have to deal with this? And I just look at her with a smile on my face. 
you're tired. She's like, yep. She, and, you know, and she wasn't trying to, she just wasn't thinking about it, right? It is tiring. It is exhausting. But as soon as she looked at me, she was like, and I have no clue of the depth of exhaustion you carry. I'm like, yeah, it is. You learn, you learn. And that's the resiliency that I think the white community needs to learn as well, to not be afraid. And if you do mess up, it's going to be okay. I love Michelle with my whole heart, you know? And we have been friends and walking together for over, I guess, 10 years now. So, you know, the church members have been walking together and there is a general forgiveness. We don't, we keep looking at end product and it's not end product we're at. It is the process to get to these end products, you know? I can make a widget, who cares? But it's when we get together, when we make this widget in a way that honors everybody, you know, that everybody feels a part of and is proud of and it helps the community. That's the distinction that we're after. And I think that's the message of the gospel. I actually think that's what the kingdom is. And it's not something we're waiting for. So this fly-by-night, I'll fly away, get to heaven, and everything will be okay, that is crap. That was never supposed to be an image or reflection of the gospel. Heaven is not our home. The earth is, which is why we're getting new ones. And we still have to do this work. So we can do it now, or we can do it later. But the work is coming. And it's always going to be hard. Always going to be hard. Because we got to do it. God is, God is very mature a very mature parent and will not let us escape this because we will be immature adults if he does or she does. Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, I think in terms of my journey, and this almost goes back to what you were saying about not being believed. um, I think one of the big moments for me and and, and as a white person, I don't wanna be here going, hey, look, I'm doing this work. But I think it just kind of speaks into what you you said from a white person's perspective, in the in the sense that I had an I had an experience um, with with a person of color um, that actually sent me on my journey um, to 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 to, to be, you know to become anti-racist, and that was we were just having a simple conversation in a cafe, and I just responded in a what could be interpreted as a, a disbelieving way. And um, now in, in my heart, I wasn't being dis- disbelieving, but it was my reaction and the words that I chose to use that came across disbelieving. And th- th- this friend was, you know, came back and said, look, this really hurt me. And, and, and initially my reaction was like, you know, indignation, but actually it started, you know, through the work that I'd been doing was it, the, the indignation started to dissipate. And I was like, well, actually my words are so important. And, and because people of color and black people are suffering PTSD, you know, like I've been talking to a, a group of black, um, fathers and the black fa- and one black father said to me, um, He's, um, when the, the riots were, ha- were in, in full pell, it's basically the reason why the riots, uh, the uprisings were happening was just imagine you're extremely, extremely tired, extremely. And when you're extremely tired and extremely angry, you're going to do silly things, right? And or not, not things, but you don't know anything else how to express yourself because you're extremely tired and you're extremely angry and therefore 
what else what else can we do and for for me that was an understanding of why the uprisings were happening because I, it was like yeah of course i don't agree with looting and, and 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 violence but at the same time it was like that bridge of well this is why it's happening is because black people are extremely tired and they're extremely angry of being treated the way that they've been treated and so therefore what else is left what you know what I mean but in a sense with where you're taking your community there is so much more into what you're saying it is but recognize the disparity in costs exactly because it is when I did racial reconciliation workshops I tried to explain to the community that we were gathered with that it cost the black people in the room far more. As they were going to share their stories, their pain. They were opening up this pain to them to, uh, you know, and for them to be very guarded and careful of their responses to it. Even if it was a response of, I don't, change a response of, I don't believe to uh, having difficulty understanding. Mm-hmm. So that explanation can be made. Um, that also just um, I, I uh, posted on my personal page uh, a lady explaining um, why the burning uh, and looting and uh, it was so very powerful I thought and some folks probably saw it and one of the things she just you know she tried to explain she explained the history of racism and then talked about property and how black people didn't own anything in their communities and that you know, why burn it? You, you burn it, you, you tear it down because you don't own it. And people don't care until it's their stuff being uh, broken and battered, you know? And, and the reality that people care more about the stuff than they care about the people. And all these people getting angry because they're looting and they're burning things. And they're, like, that man died in the street like he was, I mean, we have animal rights laws that will not allow an animal to be treated the way George Floyd was treated. And nobody, there were no uprisings. There was nobody running in the street to say how awful this was until that anger got brewing. And those early nights, um, excuse me, I'm getting loud. Micah says I'm yelling. I don't yell. It's just a passionate response. I think you have every right to it. Um, <laughs> but I'm not. I mean, if I was yelling in like anger, you would know it. There's a distinction. And I think it's a cultural thing that we have to come and understand as well. I'm just getting passionate about this thing. Yep. This man, I mean, and we go to sleep every night. We go to sleep every night after these things have happened. And it's like, oh, well, what are we going to do? We accept it. And, until, and, 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 and it's showing forth. I'm not, I have to do this as a pastor. I'm not saying that you should vote for any political party. I have to speak to power. And I speak now, when I look at the power that exists in our government and the things that are happening, and we are just accepting it. We are letting it happen. And it's just this, I'm like, well, when did you become so blind? When did we become so blind that we would allow this? But that selfishness is being tapped and touched in us that I want to be secure. And the truth of the matter is we are not becoming more secure. And the white folks or whoever, black people who like all that stuff, whatever other cultures, you are losing. We are losing because you are losing your freedom and your rights. And sometimes we don't want to be free because we don't want to be responsible. Mm-hmm. We want to say other people are making decisions for us. This is why my number one value is agency. We have to own our own lives. We have to, nobody else. There's no one else to blame. 
Now, there's circumstances and situations that I have to fight in the living of my life, but I have to demand some things, stories, and I have decisions to make. But I understand agency, and I think as a church, we have to work for that because there's no paternalism, and there's not that kind of favor, a heretical racial favor. We have to own ourselves Mm -hmm. and make decisions as individuals to join a collective to move for change. Yeah. No, I mean... 100% 100% agree, I think. Um, okay, wait a minute. I, and other fears. So I have a. Sorry, fear. No, 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 yeah, come on. The church will reject me. I walk with that. Mm-hmm. That I'm not being good enough. So, and, you know, because I walk in and I don't want to, I want to make some changes, but I have this thing that I have to be a magical Negro and make some things happen for our church, you know? Uh, magical Negro is a, 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 something we call one of the plot devices in movies and things. Uh, uh, the uh, Will Smith Beggar Vance, Beggar Vance, yeah, yeah magic yeah. person, or the help, or yep. oh, the help. Um, uh, you know, anyway, yeah, these were supposed to be great movies, and they just make me angry. Sure. Uh, that part of the story not told in the help is that the help would often rape and brutalize in the homes. So they went from raising, it's incredible to me, how you, how someone, when you had a mammy who raised you and you turn around and brutalized your children's mammy. Mm. I don't understand that kind of stuff. Mm. But those stories don't get told. We get the whitewash, nice version, you know, and, and people, because we're not open enough to really digging into the story. That was enough of the story for us. And so we're applauded and get out the awards and things. And I'm just, I'm not about that. I'm tired, tired, tired. So that and so I'm not trying to be mag- magical do that magical thing that angels making things happen and haha this is mm-hmm. very collaborative we will make decisions about what we want to happen in our community mm-hmm. work for I, I am gifted like all members of our church are gifted my particular area is this mm-hmm. I walk and try to be learn and grow and be the best I can be in my gift encourage the congregation to do the same mm. diversity uh, and we're gonna work for a whole community a better congregation no i i 100 agree with you and I, and, I, and I guess kind of to finish off like um it's almost this is almost a where do we go from here question but it's like um you actually in the week gave me an incredible podcast that um really affirmed a lot of stuff in me as a as, as a white man and it was a conversation um between um well the the, the podcast was called being um and On uh, being. being yeah and uh krista uh with krista tippett and she was having a conversation with robin d'angelo uh majority you know who wrote the amazing book uh, white fragility and she was having a conversation with resma uh Manikin, who's a minneapolis uh, trauma specialist, and just how they've been dealing with the, particularly the the, the aftermath of the George Floyd uh, murder, and um, basically the conversation was how, as white people, we need to have that responsibility and how we move forward and doing the work um, rather than just sort of having our Black Lives Matter signs putting them out and then pulling them out as soon as the work, you know, as we feel like the work's done. It's like, that's not how it works for a black person. They can't take their skin off. Right. Uh, we, 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 as white people, we've got to d- 
do continually do it and it's going to be painful and so that was the conversation but they actually finished off they finished off the conversation um krista who presents the program actually um had an uh, had an interview a few years ago and this is really pertinent because uh on friday night we learned of the death of john lewis who was an incredible um a congressman and um but also civil rights um activist who i mean you know i think we all know the work that he did and it was it's an incredible loss to this country however he has left an incredible legacy for us to to move on and she was asking him about um he, she was interviewing him on the anniversary of the selma march and was asking about the spiritual and tactical disciplines that push them forwards towards change and he said to her he responded to her he said that they had to be strategic and they had to be tactical um and do the actions to fight the fights um but he also said he um why they had to be um strategical uh, strategic and tactical that you had to know in your mind the world that you wanted to create um so you have to live as if you're working with what is uh, with what is what's actually happening at the moment but you are applying the power of the human imagination and creativity and the courage to behold the world that you want to create and are walking and helping others towards and i just that i mean when i heard that i was just like wow this is exactly where i see our church um you know, we're, we're obviously in this moment of, you know, in West Philly that, ex, that witnessed extreme police brutality. You know, we're, we're seeing reports now of the tear gassing and, and stuff like that. And, um, and so, you know, I think for you, but we, we're in this mind's eye, we're trying to move forward to be this anti-racist church. And so if you were to use that John Lewis quote, how would you kind of, where would you like us to sort of have this in our mind's eye, kind of like moving things forward? Um, well, we're, we're working on, so um, being anti-racist and inclusive. Um, and part of it is just doing the work now. Where do we, what, what do we need to do? I'm having conversations with, uh, especially in light of the survey with the church council and members, um, because our mission is to make Philly better, make a, a good city even better. And I want to do that, but being clear about what our role is in that, um, how we, what we are going to take on as our portion, what's God calling us to, um, in pursuit of making Philly this, I mean, city of brotherly love, exhibit what it's called to be. Um, and so we are going to enter into conversations overall as a church community about that. The next thing I see is that um, I feel like, and you guys can tell me I'm wrong. I don't, I'm not standing here as like judge and jury or anything or definer. But as I've come to the church, it feels like we talk about anti-racism and, and inclusion. And they're very important to us. Um, and 
my encouragement is that we embrace it. <laughs> and that's what we're doing, you know? We wanna help change or uh, create a new lens in which to see the world. Um, and so somehow if we can adapt in our mission, embracing that. Uh, and then um, I had sent some stuff out to the council uh, this past week to look at, talking about the difference between multiracial churches and multicultural churches. And one of the admonishments the writer gave, uh, Eric and I got into a little brief uh, email conversation about, the things that we have to do to hold our community, community together as we're doing this. We have to prioritize relationship building over task completion. Um, does that mean you don't set goals? Yes, but we don't, uh, we don't meet the goal at, at all costs or any cost or the cost of relationships. We're very mindful, intentional, and strategic about how those goals will help further our relationship with one another and with our community. Um, we, we do need a, a, a kind of our own rule of life, okay, in our spiritual disciplines because this stuff is so worrying. There's a scripture, I don't know, John Peter, one of the Peters or John's said, where, where it says, I'm a King James girl, y'all remember that. It says, um, if God didn't shorten the days, even the elect would be lost. Like, there are things that can throw us off. I mean, that are so tragic and painful that we have to be um, mindful of the relationship, the vision that God gives us for tomorrow, for what we're hoping for. And being in relationship with, uh, not just I got saved, I made a confession of prayer, but the daily interaction with God. So that's why for now, I'm not so much, you know, I think the, the established, uh, the hours and things like that are wonderful. I want people to get used to talking to God as friend, as parent, Jesus as brother, I want folks to be okay fussing with God, you know? I had to tell my son last night, God is not upset that you are angry and that you are using words like hate, like that none of this is surprising and you can stay in the relationship and work it out with God um, because we need to deepen our spirituality, how we live life as spiritual people. Um, and uh, we need to create a, a resilience and a spiritual vitality, you know? And we need to be unafraid to take on the challenges, you know? That, that scripture with Peter, I'm like, one of my first questions dealing with the, 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 the unclean is why God called them unclean in the first place. I just need to understand that, Lord, you know? And so not being afraid to take, to take that to God and let's talk about it. Um, and that God is real, you know? My favorite scripture is without faith, it's impossible to please God. Um, if it, those that come to him must believe that God is. And I think we're constantly dealing with, are you? Are you in this? Are you real? Are you connected? Do you care? My cry can be like, hey, guards, do you see me? Sometimes I'm like, do you see this stuff I'm dealing with right here, Lord? Do you see this? Because you got to tell me something. And I think we can get that real in relationship and then it will change the dynamic so that we're not pretending or playing or taking on the characteristics that we think church people are supposed to have and how we're supposed to look with each other. And we can let go of, you know, our church service or two worship songs, a sermon, and, and you know, we can let go of that stuff and reinvent what church can mean for us that, and make it meaningful. 
but it's defying gravity. And so for me, it's an invitation for us to defy that, but we have to have real relationships that hold each other accountable. We have to pray together. We have to play together, you know, and just have a good time and understand that all of that is spiritual. All of that is spiritual formation. Um, and then it's okay to have a Sabbath. When Michelle said, I get tired, I'm like, yeah, I recognize that. And while I don't have a day off, coming to Jim's house has given me a Sabbath and I can be quiet and reflect. And sometimes I have to turn the news off and be free of it. And then sometimes I need to be up to date. But then I'm just like, Lord, I don't like being up to date because it is worrying, you know? So I've been realizing for me that I can go, okay, I can't carry this. So I need you to take it more. And I need to be okay with that. I'm not being immature. I'm not being weak Christian. I'm not being a good, not uh, a pastor, a good pastor. I'm just being a human being. We can be humans. And God gave the task. I loved um, when uh, Reshma said, we have to go about making culture. I'm like, that, we haven't made the culture God asked us to make yet. We have a bunch of cultures. And we are, because we want to, um, to deal with the reality that God made me good, and I'm good, and my culture is good. Yeah, but we haven't made the culture of acceptance and wholeness and peace, that shalom that's supposed to overflow that comes with the kingdom. We haven't made culture yet, y'all. And so we have to get back to making culture. And it is a work in progress. And we understand our traditions and we understand our values and we define them and we see if they work in our lives and I, we challenge ourselves to live into them. But it's the work of making culture. And so I feel like God invited me to defy the gravity. I'm inviting you all by gravity. I mean, thank you, Angel. I mean, I think that's a, 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 a what was they call to arms, but it's, but it's definitely a call that we need to, to answer that we need to, I think we've, we're, we're well on the way to doing that, but I think, you know, we, we need to really start owning it and moving it forward. So can I say this? I'm really yeah, about it. Uh, in terms of structuring a plan for it. Um, I think we need help and support. So I've been telling people, just because I want to hear their ideas in church, outside of church, like I want to go after a Templeton grant. I want to go after some money that really puts some resources around us uh, to support us in this in this next phase of what it means to, to, to create multicultural churches whose, um, whose understanding of evangelism is an understanding of Jesus went to his own people first. We keep trying to take something to other people and we ain't got it ourselves. Um, so that works on transformation of ourselves and then our community and then sharing that, respecting the agency of the world so that they can take it, tweak it and do whatever they would have, you know, they need to do with what we've learned as we deal with this, you know, more than great experiment, this, this, this call to being like like God hmm. in community. So just so you know, there's a structured piece that has to be done. Yeah. Well, uh, once again, thank you, Angel. I mean, I said at the top, I, I, I mean, in my um, lifetime as, as, you know, of going, to, going to a church, I've not, I mean, not that I've been to a lot of churches, but it's very rare when you meet a pastor of your A caliber but also vulnerability and humility, but also willing to, 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 to be as open as this, which I know takes a lot of energy. 
Um, and it's not been, I mean, for you, it's not been, the, as we know, it's been a very hard, hard year for you. And to, to, to be this vulnerable and to be this open, I, I want to thank you and I'm, I'm extremely privileged. And I think we as a, as a church are extremely privileged to have you. And that's just God giving us the right person at the right time to, to, to lead this church. And so I would, A, just want to thank you in that. And I think it feels appropriate to pray for you um, and this time and just thank you for you. And so I think as a congregation, I'd just like to lower our heads and close our eyes and just pray for Angel. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of Angel. Um, I can't thank you enough how much you've, how much personally she's helped me in my life, and I know that how much she's helping others uh, in theirs. And I just ask that you just enter her life with such abundance and more abundance that the trauma and all the, 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 the fears that we've heard about are slowly eased, um, that we as a community can start uh, helping with those traumas, those fears, and um, start bringing that love that is so desired, that tends to be twisted into to other things that we heard about. Um, and so we just ask that you come with an abundance of love and security for Angel, but also the church, so that we can start moving forward into what you envision us to be, so that we can do the work, that we can be tactical and we can be um, strategic in, in the way that we do it, that it actually really does impact Philadelphia um, to make it a better place, but to be purposeful about it. And we just thank you for you, um, Angel, again. And we just lift you up and we ask for grace and love amen thank you yeah i mean i think everyone if you can do airways for angel i think we're extremely blessed as you know that we have you so thank you and i think we're going to hand it over to tim again
place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Here in your love, here in your love. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Here in your love, here in your love. Amen. So I'm going to just read a benediction to take you into the week. Um, but first of all, I just want to say thank you again to Angel. Um, and welcome, Rahim. I'm so excited for you and the work that, that you're going to be doing with the youth. Um, we had an awesome conversation this week, and I just was really encouraged him to, to just follow his heart. And I know he's going to do that and lead these kids uh, in an amazing way that um, I couldn't even possibly imagine. So um, I'm really excited to that. So. I thought it'd be kind of nice to do a little benediction kind of speaking into leadership and um, but also unity as a as, as a community so um, this is taken from Ephesians chapter 4 and it's verse um, 7 and it says however he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ that is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that he said ascended. This clearly means that Christ, who also descended into our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church. The body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Amen. Thank you so much and have a blessed week.